Hi, and welcome to Finance Matters, the podcast series where we bring you bite-sized thoughts, stories, and inspiration in the hopes that they'll be useful to you on this road we're all on to do our best and be our best in the realm of financial matters here at UVA. I'm your host, Brandy Van Ormer, and I am here in Zoom world with my co-host, Patty Marbury. Yeah. Hi, Brandy. How are you? I'm pretty good. Patty and I were just talking before we hit record about what it would be like to record the podcast in person again. And Mm -hmm. even though we really like uh, working remotely for all its benefits, we're kind of excited about the possibility of coming to you from a shared location sometime. Yeah, (laughs) it might not be Carruthers, but (laughs) yeah, we might just like go to an undisclosed location to record the pod somewhere super quiet, super secret. So today we're talking about something really interesting. Um, You may have noticed from the title of uh, today's episode that we're talking about the wisdom of knowing what you don't know, which sounds pretty, um, it's a good hook, you know, like it sounds pretty interesting when you hear that, Mm -hmm. the wisdom of knowing what you don't know. Um, So I wanted to start out, just jump right in today by asking you, Patty, have you heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? I had, and then I forgot what it was. And then you told me. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to start there because I bet a lot of our listening audience has heard something about the Dunning-Kruger effect. And um, I just find it so funny. And what what I didn't know is that the the gentleman who did the research to back up this theory called the Dunning-Kruger effect, they won a Nobel prize for their work, yeah. which is hilarious. That's the other thing I learned. Yeah. You told <laughs> because, me. After you reminded me what, what it is. Yeah. So what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, it's a hypothetical cognitive bias that states that people with a low ability at a task overestimate their ability at that task. So that's what's mm-hmm. funny to me is that when you say that that's what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, like people who know nothing about something overestimate their their aptitude or intelligence at it like oh that must be easy yeah Um, it's so funny because it it almost reminds me of like remember you talked about the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. it almost I almost think of it as the opposite of the imposter syndrome (laughs) and it's so funny and like when when I reminded Patty what the Dunning-Kruger effect was because like she said she had she had heard and read about it but just couldn't remember the name. When I reminded her what it was, she was like, oh, right, of course. And we oh, just, I thought you were going to out me about- No, Patty <laughs> is a victim of the Dunning. <laughs> no, <God>. no, not me. <laughs> I know, <laughs> never mind. But anyway, it's, it's so easy to snort at that concept and be like, oh, of course people are that way. Yeah. But um, these two psychologists, uh, David Dunning and Justin Kruger, actually did the research and did the, the, they have the stats to back it up. So they won a Nobel prize for this. And here's my Dunning-Kruger effect saying, well, of course that's true. I could have told you that. <laughs> they won a Nobel prize for that. Everybody knows people are like that. That is funny. <laughs> that is funny that they did a study and found out that that was true. But what I don't know anything about the research, obviously, but um, I had heard of it before. That's the truth. And I wonder if there's any kind of breakdown or like gender differences. What are you getting? Um, Well, like are men more apt to 
have have experienced that or or certain or, ages of people or certain ages the um, men women ages <laughs> yeah um yeah i'm just curious i mean that's not really what this whole podcast is going to be about but um, yeah I and think, you know yeah. that's interesting um i'm i'm going to admit i'm on the wikipedia page for the dunning kruger effect right now and it looks like they've done a lot of um studies on this and they've also they've done cultural differences in self-proportion or self-perception so it sounds like there's a lot uh there's a lot of information around this and you could really delve into it but um I'm going to just (laughs) uh one of their their little um papers that they wrote about was titled why people fail to recognize their own incompetence (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that sounds harsh. And um, we're, we will um, be talking a lot about what you don't know today. And we want to yeah. qualify this by that same old, like, dumb versus ignorant distinction. Um, we are talking about being, when we, if you talk about incompetence, that's just not being good at something. And mm-hmm. that it has a definite negative term in the way we normally use it. But yeah. truly, we're just talking about you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and yes. same with ignorance. You truly don't know. Um, yeah. It's not being stupid or anything. Yeah. Um, it's just what you do with the knowledge that, or whether or not you have the knowledge that you are incompetent or ignorant, and then what you do with that from there. Right. Exactly. So we are not going to be calling anybody stupid <laughs> because I am very incompetent at molecular biology. <laughs> Is that it? That's it. Me too. <laughs> Brain I, surgery. Um, I am incompetent as an Olympic gymnast. (laughs) It's funny. I'm a marginally competent communicator. (laughs) All right, let's delve into this then a little bit and talk more about um, what happens when when we become humble about our convictions and curious about the alternatives and we get really open to discovering new things. Um, we're going to be fully honest with you in this podcast. We really have to in this podcast (laughs) because it's about (laughs) admitting what you don't know. And we're going to tell you that, um, a lot of the concepts that we're talking about can be found in a new book by Adam Grant, um, from February, 2021 called think again, the power of knowing what you don't know. Now, full disclosure, we have not read this book but we are working with some of the concepts from the book and we'll definitely Mm -hmm. link you to some articles about the book, some interviews with Adam Grant, where you can hear him talk about the concepts. Um, It sounds like it's a really great book. (laughs) So um, that definitely would be one that we could maybe uh, pick up more in depth some other time, or maybe you might want to grab, but just the interviews that he's done um, Mm -hmm. are really interesting. And that's kind of what we're going off of this time. Yeah. All right, so, um, Pounded, just to start off with, it, it sounds counterintuitive to say not knowing stuff puts you in a position of strength, but, you know, because if you don't have the knowledge or if you don't have relevant information, then, you know, maybe that's why you're not making progress in your life or your career, um, but what what actually can be strong about not knowing things? Well, I think the, 
it's, it's kind of like what you just said about knowing that you don't know is what, what gives you or knowing what you don't know, um, is what kind of gives you the strength because it is, if you go through life with a Dunning-Kruger effect and you <laughs> are a better, haze of Dunning-Kruger, yeah, honey, a haze of Dunning-Kruger, then you don't, then you, you think, you know, things that you actually don't. Right. And so rather than be in that position to be able to be in a position where you can say, Oh, I don't really know about that. And I want to learn. Then that actually puts you in a position of strength around whatever that thing is. It's not really just a joke to say a haze of Dunning Kruger effect, because it sounds like it would put you in just a, um, a thick cloud, a fog, a stagnant position. Mm-hmm. If you assume you know everything, um, then you're really not seeking opportunities to learn more, um, to sharpen your skills. Um, maybe you kind of like learned your trade or your um, your particular area of expertise and then you don't keep up with your knowledge you just assume right. that think you, you know, know you're everything. you're at the top of your game yeah um you stagnate there yeah I mean there's a reason why sometimes people like having young doctors um <laughs> or um I I think about because I do leadership coaching and I think about some of the people that I work with and the worst people are people that think oh, I don't need any help with this. I know how to Mm. be a manager or a leader. Um, And so I don't really need a coach. That's, those are the hardest people to work with. Yeah. You're often working with them as a coach because somebody else has asked you to be that person's coach. (laughs) Fix Um, them. (laughs) If you're smart, if you're smart enough to realize that you have some, um, weak spots. You know, if you're wise yeah. enough to realize that you're ignorant on some things, you can unlearn things that don't work. You can relearn better knowledge that help you to make more informed choices and decisions going forward. Mm-hmm. Keep an open mind, really. That's the other thing. Just like when you were talking about the the folks that you have in leadership coaching who just think, I don't, I don't need to know any more about this. I already know everything I need to know. Um, they're, they're not going to improve their blind spots. They're not going to change their thinking and they're definitely not going to be open to all the stuff that's out there that, um, is new and interesting or the new ways that people who they're going to manage are going to be thinking about things. And and they don't even know they're, you know, I guess that's why they're called blind spots because you don't really know they're there, but, but you know, they're not even aware that they might have some. So, so, so it just, it's hard. It's hard to but, work with things like that. Yeah, it is. It is. Because that, if you're fully in the, the haze of Dunning-Kruger, you can't see the light. But um, folks who do understand the limitations of their knowledge are at an advantage um, of people who don't see their own ignorance. Um, and that's kind of the key of the key part of this book is figuring out how to 
what you need to know and looking at things differently and mm -hmm. even um, making some daily choices in your life and work that help you to be more of a person who has what he calls, the author calls, and I want to get this right because it's such a great way of saying it. The author calls it confident humility. Mm -hmm. that we set ourselves up for more joys of learning things and finding new knowledge by developing the trait of confident humility. So he means confidence in our abilities alongside active questioning about whether or not we we have opted the right strategy. So mm -hmm. I thought that was cool, like learning to get comfortable with being humble, recognizing that you don't know everything and just being open to all the new things that life can throw at you. Mm -hmm. So I like that too. I like that confident, confident humility uh, concept a lot. It sounds good. It sounds right. It sounds like a kind of thing yep. I'd want to be. So mm -hmm. let's start at the top with some of the mm -hmm. concepts that um, Grant throws out here in this book. And he begins with where we began the podcast, the idea that we think ourselves expert at stuff that we don't know very much about, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, so like so many things, step one is recognizing the problem. Mm -hmm. And um, they- Yeah, being they, aware that you have a problem. <laughs> yeah, be aware that you, that's step one, be aware that you have a problem. They quote yeah. um, Richard Feynman, a Nobel-winning Nobel -winning physicist by saying, you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. <laughs> That's the kind of humility I like to have. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he was talking, uh, or the, the author of the book talks about the overconfidence that we have. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the ideas that we get entrenched in and we don't look for um, anything that goes against our opinion. We just um, push what we yeah. think is right without listening to anyone else. We think we're not biased. We think that we're just on the, the right track and don't really hear anything that would convince us otherwise. Uh -huh. I like how he talks about um, that. He says that overconfidence, um, he says it, overconfidence ma manifests in our tendency to emulate the behavior of Preachers, prosecutors, and politicians. I kind of <laughs> like, but he, but what he means by that is that we um, talk about our thoughts and ideas as if they're so wonderful and great, without thinking about what are possibly the alternative views or conflicting views, even. Right. And so, um, and he also says we have a greater focus on winning than being truthful. Right. And so I think that's um, really important to, to remember that just like as humans, we just want to be right. We want to be right. <laughs> and so it's kind of a natural instinct for us. Um, and so it's more important to be more important than being right is knowing what is right. Agreed. And to do that, moving on to another key idea of uh, Grant's writing, he encourages people to, instead of thinking like a prosecutor, preacher, or politician, 
to think more like a scientist when it comes to some of these complex things. Um, he talks about a, a writer he likes um, who talks about using the scientific method or the, the spirit of scientific inquiry in just regular life. Mm -hmm. um, and he talks about how exciting it can be when you first get a new idea or a new, you're thinking of a new way of doing something or a new approach, um, just like scientists who have maybe a new discovery, mm -hmm. you know, and the scientific method would it put the scientists through rigorous testing and collection of data and retesting right. before you'd ever get to publish that. And sometimes it's a lot, well, often <laughs> it's a lot easier to go full bore with your thoughts and opinions on something much less um, scientific than maybe uh, DNA or something. <laughs> and just Even how we're keeping it scientific, scientists making big discoveries are, it's really hard for them to test there. Yeah, it, it's hard to actively look for reasons why this wouldn't be true. Right. And to. it's their nature to want to be like shouting it from the rooftops that they've just discovered the cure for cancer or something. So, but there's a lot at stake on things like that. And you may think, well, there's not as much at stake outside of the scientific realm, but mm -hmm. where we do ourselves a definite disservice as thinkers or um, leaders or just people in our roles, wherever we are, when we just get an idea and only look for things that support it. I mean, mm -hmm. you can see like Patty and I were together on the, the diversity equity inclusion committee and she and I regularly talk about political stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, she is an expert as she mentions on um, uh, management and leadership and she's a trainer. And so we have some really good conversations about things and, this is an idea that comes up a lot is it, which is what she was talking about earlier. Like it's just hard when somebody's already decided that they're right and mm -hmm. they're not willing to go much further than that. Yeah. So his point really is think like a, more like a scientist than like a preacher, politician, or prosecutor, and that you test your thinking by really thinking about why wouldn't this be true or why, couldn't this be true? So thinking more like a scientist in that way. There's a reason why pride is one of the deadly sins. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about how we can choose to ignore opposing viewpoints or not engage in dialogue. And that's one of the ways that we fail in um, acquiring more wisdom or uh, in breaking down the Dunning-Kruger effect. But the author, Adam Grant, talks really particularly about what strength there is in listening to other people mm -hmm. um, instead of, like Patty was just talking about, trying to persuade people, trying to gain support for your idea, really listening to people and hearing their thoughts and seeing and hearing, like, really experiencing where they are and why they do what they do and how they think that can expand your own thinking as well. And it doesn't work 
when you just imaginary, like in an imaginary way, capacity, put yourself, quote unquote, in somebody else's shoes. Because again, you don't know what you don't know. So it only works if you really talk to them (laughs) and really interact with people who are different than you, not just imagining what they are like. Yeah. But he talks about how bullying people into um, trying to agree with you doesn't work. Um, Mm -hmm. And that the greater the distance, this is a quote now, the greater the distance between us and an adversary, the more likely we are to oversimplify their actual motives and invent explanations that stray far from their reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I tend to be thinking of big things like politics and yeah. uh, big, big societal forces when we're talking about this, but this can work at work too. Like if you're talking with another group um, in your general organization and you you don't understand why they don't want to do something differently Mm -hmm. and you think you know all the the reasons why they would or wouldn't and you still don't understand it not really talking to them could be the key (laughs) to why you don't understand oh you saying talking to them could be the key to what you don't understand is that what you said yeah well I said it in a different way that made less sense but yeah your way works too I mean, I said it in a way that was hard to follow, but your straightforward approach. But you're the communicator. (laughs) I know I told you I was barely competent. (laughs) See, that's what I'm going to do from here on out. I'm going to embrace. I'm going to say that I'm being um, (laughs) confidently humble. (laughs) Kind of like the whole vulnerable thing. (laughs) Yeah. I like that in this article that we were, that I think you're going to link to it in the show. Yes, definitely. Um, but how he talks about um, perspective seeking rather than perspective taking. So while you might think about what another person's view is and you you make up a judgment about that or what you think of what they think, um, rather than ask them about their perspective and learn about why they have that perspective. And this you know, all sounds wonderful. It's really not easy, though. No, it's not. And when he, he quotes John Locke uh, in the book that talking about how we quote, we polish one another and rub off our corners and rough sides by a sort of amicable collision to restrain this. It is inevitably to bring a rust upon men's understanding. Tis a destroying of civility, good breeding, and even charity itself under pretense of maintaining it. You know, you imagine yourselves in uh, like some kind of 18th century debate over something. Oh, we're having this wonderful conversation. We're going to use the Socratic method. Um, in life conversations, it doesn't go that way. <laughs> and it can be hard to engage with people. I mean, if we're talking about really big ideas mm-hmm. um, or not just, you know, something pretty straightforward that you might encounter in the workplace. Um, yeah it can be truly hard to have those conversations. It requires, as you said earlier, a lot of work. Right. It is hard for me to really want, want to hear perspectives of I'm opinionated as you know, Um, and anybody listening to this who knows me knows. Um, And so it's hard for me to really seek another perspective. And it's not about, for me, I don't think it's necessarily about 
oh, I'm right. And I know I'm right. And I don't want to, it, so it's not necessarily about um, like Dunning-Kruger or, you know, not knowing what I don't know. Um, it's not about that, but it's more about just really having a judgment about somebody else's perspective. You so. know what, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, um, maybe I'll link back to the Yield Cru- Crucial Conversations pod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, maybe I it, should listen to that one again. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, right? It's really, really, really hard to come to a conversation or to come to a difficult idea, especially when you're really invested in mm-hmm. um, and start an open conversation and try to understand what someone else um, is, is what their experience is and where they're coming from and what yeah. makes them think the way they do. Well, and we said this a f- few minutes ago, but um, it we're, we're taught from a very, very early age and Crucial Conversations talks about this too, to, to be right. We're rewarded for being right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can all remember being in like kindergarten and raising our hand when the teacher called on us and being, you know, wanting to be, get the right answer and being very proud of that. And so we're rewarded for it from, from the time we can walk and talk. And plus, I think there's that internal reward structure where when you find some little nugget of information that supports what you believe and says you're right yeah that's its own little reward too (laughs) like it's kind of like a a little feedback loop that we have just internally for ourselves too Mm -hmm. that we notice the things that make us feel good about what we already believe Mm -hmm. yep so another problem that grant talks about um in his book apparently (laughs) we that we what we understand from reading at reading what he says um, and hearing him talk about it is that we have to acknowledge complexity and not oversimplify because um, a lot of times, even with really big issues in the world and in society, we can reduce things to two sides. Yeah. Um, what psychologists call a binary bias, the tendency to abruptly reduce complex debates to two positions, which yeah. doesn't work, really. <laughs> no, I mean, think about anything, anything that we talk about, um, and in work, out of work, political, whatever, you can think about, um, like, the death penalty. That's not a one or other. It's not a yes, I'm for it, or no, I'm not. Those aren't the only two sides to that debate. There's also, well, no, I'm not for it except in these situations, or yes, I am for it except in these situations. So there's so much, you know, other stuff that goes into that debate that is not just a yes or no. Um, And that's how it is with anything. Grant says a dose of complexity can disrupt overconfidence cycles and spur rethinking cycles. It gives us more humility about our knowledge and more doubts about our opinions. And it can make us curious enough to discover information we were lacking. Yeah. 
definitely. That I think that this is probably the clearest example of what he's talking about is with this binary um, that we reduce things to two-sided debate where there's just two sides when it's so much more than that. And so like even like thinking back to that where what he what you just said is kind of challenging yourself on that and saying, oh, well, that's what I thought. So like going back to my death penalty argument, well, I thought I was against I thought I was for the death penalty, but then I found out all these other things right? and then it changed my opinion about it. So that's, I think, what he's talking about there. So the next couple of things that Grant addresses are to do with how we interact with others. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, I think, will be interesting to talk about as well. Um, he talks about finding challengers, not followers. Mm-hmm. So the same kind of thing as we were talking about um, earlier, only the flip side of it, you know, talking to people who have different mindsets than you and listening to them, but also just in your intimate circles, not, mm-hmm. you know, not seeking out even new people, um, but in the circles that you're already in, finding, surrounding yourself with people who will question you a little bit, um, who have different viewpoints, who think of things differently, um, not just surrounding yourself with people who are going to humor you either intentionally or um, unintentionally, either Mm -hmm. because you hold power over them or because they're your work wife. (laughs) (laughs) So it can totally be out of love and affection and closeness, or like we said, maybe it's because, you know, you've got a team of people who's going to absolutely go with what you say just because you're the leader. Um, you're in a position. Yeah, I mean, you have to be really careful about this if you are the leader or the manager or the director or whatever, and yeah. you have a group of people. You have to be really careful about are they not challenging you because they feel like they can't. And so and we'll we'll get even further into this before we wrap up today. But yeah, that's a real problem. Like the more influence you have, the more people who can hear what you think, um, the more it sounds like the more ability the more of a forum you have to share your ideas, mm-hmm. the more likely it gets that people will just go with what you say and not challenge you. Well, yeah. I mean, look at what's happened in the world. So look at the world. <laughs> I gesture expansively. Just look at it. <laughs> just look at it and weep. <laughs> but <laughs> um, he quote, I'm going to quote him here. Um, we learn from people who challenge our thought processes more than we learn from those who affirm our conclusions. Strong leaders engage their critics and make themselves stronger. Weak leaders silence their critics and make themselves weaker. Yep. Don't be a Kim Jong-il. Yeah, that's not who I was thinking of, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's it's just like you think about, you were talking earlier about when you were back in kindergarten, the pleasure of ha- raising your hand and having the right answer. I, yeah. I think about grade school again with this idea, like it's easy to do like you did in uh, at the beginning of a school year when the teacher at first usually lets you decide where you want to sit. <laughs> yeah. um, you'd glom up with your own group of little friends and team up with them and have your own little circle And that's great. And it's comfortable. And there's nothing really wrong with it. But if that's the only choice you ever make, especially when we're talking about adult things, 
that's a problem. It's easy and yeah. comfortable to team up with people um, who will support you and follow you off a cliff. But if you're going to do things that are big or challenging, you've got to have people who are independent minded. Yeah. So let's talk more about that leadership thing. Yeah. So that sounds like that's a real problem. So, I mean, I even think on my communications team for the FST project, I love them. <laughs> They're so fantastic. We get along so well. Yeah. Um, they, they have cool ideas. And when we get together, we really feed off one another's energy and we get a lot of things done and it feels great. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes, are they just humoring me? <laughs> yeah. How yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think the same thing. And I'm pretty sure my team is not. We've worked together for a long time now. So I think that they know that I think the world of them, you know, and that, that I think that their ideas are most of the time more, or most of the time, I was going to say more better, most of the time better than mine. <laughs> so I, I hope that's the case, but still, you do have to be careful that, about that. So how, how can we be more conscious of that? Like, um, let's, let's get in a little to what um, Grant talks about here, how you can be a little more overt with this to make sure your people realize that they could be comfortable mm-hmm. saying different things or having different opinions or coming at things from a different angle. It talks about like the way to, to remedy that or to make sure that um, you're not a leader who just surrounds yourself with yes people to make sure that you demonstrate that you can take criticism. So, and one way to do that is to um, talk about your own like mistakes or imperfections or whatever out loud. So share those with other people um, and then invite their feedback and um, make like a public commitment to that you're open to feedback. So I think that's kind of, you know, interesting and that shouldn't be hard to do. I mean, we all have made mistakes or done things that were not quite right. And to be able to say those out loud, shouldn't, shouldn't be hard to do that. No, and we're not talking about like your deepest personal failings. No. <laughs> I mean, and, and sometimes I think you might even need to make up something, not, not, um, not because we don't all have them, but just to but, prove that yes. you are open to and okay with even criticizing or acknowledging your own shortcomings, um, you know, think of something. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about too, just being open about development goals too, like things you're working toward, things you want to learn. That sounds super healthy as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So apparently the book itself is chock full of really great stories that mm-hmm. will, um, illustrate in better detail the concepts that we've talked about here. So um, if you were intrigued, like I kind of am, about delving further into Adam Grant's book, we'll link to where you can take a look and get a better sense. And then we'll also link to the interviews that we read and watched to help us work through some of these ideas today. But Mm -hmm. all in all, um, it's, I, I like that call for confident humility and for thinking of reasons why not, you know, trying to put yourself 
um, expose yourself to other viewpoints and other people's yeah. way of doing things or way of thought. Like a scientist, not a politician. Yeah, thinking like a scientist. It's really, um, those are all things that we can do. And I think that they ring really true no matter what area you work in or what big concepts you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Good tactics to help us to grow as people. So that's all for us today on finance matters. We'll link to the goods in the show notes and also to that past podcast we did on crucial conversations, because as we talked about, that's hard to do, hard to engage people who you know think so differently from you. Mm -hmm. So we'll link to that. And um, I just want to encourage the audience that we're always looking for your ideas, things you want to hear about, books you are interested in, um, something interesting that you heard or read that you think we should consider as a podcast idea. We'd love to hear from you. You can just email Patty or myself or, you know, hit us up on Teams. <laughs> I'd say you can drop by the office, but maybe not until this fall. Mm-hmm. At any rate, we've had a good time talking about this today. Thanks for listening in. Patty, thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. All right. Until next time, keep doing good work because what you're doing matters.